Hey, what's up, church? My name is Matt Chirac, and I am privileged and honored to be the director of students here at Propel Church. And man, I'm super excited to be with you here today. My heart is full of anticipation for what God might do today with this message. I think, honestly, I've been through my, my notes probably about a thousand times in preparing for this, so I'm super excited to deliver it. Hey, if it's your first time here with us, we just want to give you a great big welcome. We understand you could be doing all kinds of other stuff. So we're super thankful that you would join us, whether you're at a watch party online or you're chilling at somebody's house at a house party right now, or if you're watching on demand 10 days from now, we still just want to say thank you so much. If you would, do us a big favor. Head on over to propel.church online. Click the connect card button and fill that out for us. Hassle-free guarantee. I'm not going to come to your house knocking on your door. Nobody is. We're not going to hit you up on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, anything like that. We just want some basic information about you so that we know that you are here and so we can send you a free gift because we really value you and appreciate you spending time with us this morning. Before we jump into this content today, y'all, and I'm, I'm super excited if I haven't already said that. I just want to take a moment to, to tell Pastor Nick and Tori how much we appreciate them as a church. Man, it is an honor to be mentored by you, to be led by you, to be loved by you. Your sacrifice in the background, that's, that's the thing. We see you deliver these just incredibly powerful messages on Sundays, but people really don't get the chance to see how much you do in the background, how much time you spend praying for our staff and the people of this community, your hearts for lost people. You, you are just the best leaders in the whole world, and I'm very, very grateful to sit underneath you, to be on your staff, and I'm thankful for how much you love us. Hey, Dream Team, we see you too. Production team, worship team, thankful for what you do as well to put this online experience together. I just, I just love you all so much and, and just really wanted to take a minute to, to honor everybody that has a hand in this. Thank you all so, so much. So we're going to talk about Another prayer today, this is going to be week five in our Powerful Prayers series, and we've had four incredible weeks so far that Pastor Nick has taught in, and I really appreciate Pastor Nick's vision to see us pray powerful prayers because, man, we believe that prayers are effective and powerful at this church. Let's bounce through some of the stuff that we've talked about. In week one, we talked about the prayer of transformation and how transformation only takes place when we stop pretending to have it all together. And we, we, we got to invite God to search us in our prayers. Week two, we prayed the prayer of surrender. We can fully surrender to God. Why? Because Jesus modeled it for us. Week three, the prayer of hearing from God. Come on, we worship a speaking God. Pastor Nick said it really, really well. I think a bunch of us need to understand we got to slow down, be still, invite God to speak to us, get on his frequency so we can hear him. And last week was week four. We prayed the prayer of increase, talked about my man Jabez and how to unleash growth through prayer, that prayer of increase. Increase is so fun and exciting, and that prayer of expansion. And man, Pastor Nick has just been on fire this whole series. I don't know about you, but every time he teaches on prayer, my, my prayer game, it gets amplified a little bit. And this week, this is going to be week five. We're going to be closing out this collection in this series. We're going to pray a prayer of heartbreak. That's right, I said heartbreak. And that prayer it's a dangerous prayer. This is going to be a very powerful prayer, and I can't lie to you. i got to look right at you right now and tell you that you can be nervous about this, but don't be scared because we can trust God in this moment. I'm going to share with you in just a little bit the incredible things that God has done through my life with this prayer. That prayer is going to sound a little bit like this. Lord, will you break my heart for what breaks yours? Crush it. Wreck me, God. Just shatter my heart for what breaks 
yours. I want to take just a moment before we go any further. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to talk about my homie Jeremiah. Lord, we just we love you so much, Jesus. This is, this is all about you. This is all for you. And we pray this in your beautiful and powerful name, Lord. And we all said, amen. Hey, if you're with me in the chat right now, go ahead and get them fingers warmed up. Go ahead and put some I'm with you's in there. Go ahead and uh, get those fire emojis ready. Get those 100s ready. Go ahead and put them in your most recent emojis. I'm going to need you all to kind of help amplify this experience with me. God's word is exciting. We're going to have a bunch of fun today. And you know what? If you're at a house party, I need you all to do me a huge favor. I really miss high fives. Would you all do me a favor and just give an air high five? <laughs> Funny thing about high fives, actually, my students, this is a total squirrel moment, y'all. I didn't have this planned at all, but my students actually taught me how to give a perfect high five. You know, you're supposed to stare at somebody's elbow when you give a high five. When you do, it just makes the most perfect pop sound. So be really weird when you're giving these air fi- high fives. Stare at somebody's elbow. Don't even look at them. Just air high fives all around and get excited to lean in. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter eight today, and we're just going to live in the book of Jeremiah. And uh, I really, I want to paint this, this picture of who Jeremiah is and talk about his background a little bit. So Jeremiah is in the last days of Judah. Now, if you've ever heard of King Solomon, he was the son of King David. King David, the guy that hit the, hit the giant with a slingshot and a rock. After King Solomon, we saw the nation of Israel split. So they became the northern kingdom and they became the southern kingdom. And so Israel has now been absorbed, they're enslaved, and God has kind of removed his hand from them. And now we see Judah. Judah is in its last days. We had this king named Josiah, I believe. He, he kind of found Moses's, uh, the, God's laws and, and started trying to bring the people back to God, tried to, tried to say, hey, don't, don't go that way, come this way. And so God started to show them favor, and we see these highs and lows in Judah. After King Josiah, we saw like all the Jehoiakins and Jehoiachins and Jehoah whoever's, and they, they worshiped idols and false gods. And so that's where Judah's at right now. Jeremiah is in this moment where the nation is divided, where we're seeing the, the Israelites and, and the people of Judah are taking babies and they're literally murdering them and sacrificing them on the idols of false gods. We're seeing adultery. We're seeing oppression. We're seeing inequality and injustices in their nation. And so I don't know about you and where you stand, but for me, when I see stuff like that, I get really angry. I get super mad. There's some stuff going around in this world today. And if I'm completely honest with you, it's frustrating. It's aggravating. But what I love about Jeremiah is that Jeremiah understands that he is given a purpose in this pain. God has allowed him to feel this, this anguish and this heartbreak and compassion for the people of Judah. Let's, let's go to uh, verse 18 and see what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. And then in a couple verses ahead, we go to verse 21. He says, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I am overcome with grief. And so as I read through this, I felt like God was showing me that he was allowing Jeremiah to feel this heartbreak. He was allowing Jeremiah to feel this anguish because God's heart breaks for lost people. God's heart is breaking for those that don't know him. God's heart is breaking for those that are making decisions that don't reflect his goodness and his grace. And I know that it's tricky sometimes. We think, well, why does God want us to do things his way all the time? Because he loves you, because his ways are higher than our ways, because he's good for us. And what I love about this is I truly believe that Jeremiah is experiencing a holy hurt while discovering a heavenly purpose, that God is giving him a purpose in this pain. I wrote it in my notes like this. 
It's better to hurt with a purpose than exist without one. And we see Jesus do this same thing. Jesus hurts with a purpose. Scripture says that he looks upon us and he looks at us like sheep without a shepherd. That when he looks at us, he is filled with agony and compassion. We see Jesus exemplify this when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he has this, he has this pain, but there's a purpose behind it. And as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to God. He's giving him his anxiety. And you know what? I, I just want to pause right there just for a second to talk about anxiety. If, if you're somebody who's struggling right now with anxiousness and anxiety, friend, can I just tell you right now, you're not less of a Christian. You're not less of a person. You're not less of a friend. You're not less anointed or less, calls be, less called because you feel anxiety. Jesus had anxiety when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Jesus experienced a medical phenomenon called hematidrosis, where he was literally sweating blood because he felt so much mental anxiety. The sin is not the birds flying around your head. The sin is when you allow them to live there and nest there. So friend, don't allow anxiety to control you, but know that it's okay to feel anxiety. We just got to go before God with it and pray and labor in prayer to feel relief from that. So we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he's experiencing this mental anguish and this high anxiety. But he knows that he has a purpose behind this pain, that God is using this purpose. And I wrote it in my notes like this because Pastor Nick said this a couple weeks ago. I can't lie. This is borrowed content. It says, for God to use us, he must first break us. Oh, and we, we don't like the sound of that. I know that I don't. I love to be comfortable. I love to be comfortable. One of my favorite days of the week is my Sabbath day because I just chill so hard, man. It's a day just full of delight and joy. I hang out all day long and uh, I really just, it's, it's good for my soul to just rest and, and hang around and be comfortable. Who doesn't like being comfy? I love in the summertime, I'll wear some board shorts, some flip-flops. You'll probably find me at the water somewhere. It might be a pool, it might be a pond, it might be the ocean. I really, I, I'm actually, I'm a big hoodie guy too. Like, I really like the comfort of hoodies. Uh, they, they feel very good and soft, but then I'm kind of losing my hair. I'm only 30, and it's not looking too good, y'all. And so when my head gets cold, I just, I just throw the hoodie up. It's nice and comfortable. I'll be real with you. I rock Crocs pretty much year-round. Come on, baby. If you ain't crocking, you ain't rocking. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm actually teaching in Crocs right now. Come on. Can I get an amen in the chat for that? Crocs are incredible. But did you know that there's a huge compromise in comfort? There's a compromise in our comfort. The enemy loves to try to compromise us. And he, he really, I really believe if the enemy can't distract us, then he's going to make us comfortable. I heard this in a movie a couple years ago that the enemy will place us in a jail cell, but he leaves the door open. So we don't even know we're in it because everything around us is these materials and these desires from around the world. We might have all of our comfortable clothes, some Snuggies in there. Come on, if it's my three-year-old, you're going to have a soft blanket and a T-shirt, probably no pants on, just in there, just hanging out and being comfortable until one day that door closes and we're stuck in that stronghold in that jail cell. And that's the enemy's desire. He wants us to be comfortable because God operates in comfort. You know how many times I think that I've missed out, or God operates in discomfort, I'm sorry. Do you, you know how many times I think I've missed out on the blessings of God and the purpose of God because I've allowed myself to get super comfortable. I was thinking about this the other day. Today, there's a lot of stuff going on where I, I disagree with people on Facebook. Like, hey, I've got an opinion, and I really want to feel like my opinion matters. And sometimes I get really caught up, and I'll just completely remove people. I'll just unfollow them altogether if I see something that I don't like. 
And hear me say, I'm not talking about sinful stuff because I believe that we need to guard our eyes and guard our, or guard our hearts by guarding our eyes and guarding what we're taking in in our ears. But man, this could be like political views or, or something small. If I don't like their opinion and it makes me uncomfortable, I just unfollow them and remove them. But I'm really missing out on what God might be able to do in that moment because he operates in discomfort. God does incredible things when you and I aren't feeling comfortable. If we look to Moses, Moses is a young Hebrew boy and he's in Egypt and he's watching his people be enslaved and oppressed. And Moses, his heart breaks. Moses, I'm sure, doesn't feel comfortable watching his people enslaved. But God uses that discomfort. God uses that moment to drive Moses into a purpose that God had for him. We see Moses he helps the people of Israel get out of slavery. And you see the, split, the Red Sea gets split and all the miracles that God performs through Moses and his obedience. We also see David. Now, King David, you've heard of King David, but before King David was King David, he was just a shepherd boy. And so King David is shepherding the sheep for his father and his brothers are out on the front lines at war. And David just rolls up to give his brother some snacks. He's like the water boy. And all of a sudden he sees this giant talking smack about his God. Well, that made David uncomfortable. So what's David do? He stands before this giant with a slingshot. And I don't know about you, but if I was standing before a giant that had like 100 pounds of gear and a sword that was bigger than me, I'd probably feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially as all I had was a slingshot. But he believes in God's ability to work in his discomfort. And he hits the enemy in the head the giant falls, and then King David begin, begins his journey to becoming the king that God would make him into. If I'm comfortable, I'm probably not growing, and more importantly, I'm probably not impacting others. If I'm comfortable, I'm probably compromised, and when I'm comfortable, I'm probably being selfish. And I really love this powerful prayer because it snaps us out of that self-centered pursuit of comfort. And if I'm comfortable, more importantly, remember that God can't break me because God will break us in order to use us. And so this next point I have for you is there is a blessing in the breaking. There is a blessing in the breaking. I wrote it in my notes like this. What if God's greatest blessings come in our greatest breakings? Are you willing to be broken to be blessed? I think for you and I, we have a complete and total misunderstanding of what a blessing is. I know that I do sometimes. I, I really feel like blessing is getting everything I want or blessing is having everything I want, all this stuff, all this money. But in reality, I know a ton of people that are just completely miserable and they seem to have everything in the world. A blessing is the capacity to experience and extend the goodness of God in your life. It's not about you. It's always intended to include you, but also intended to go through you. We are blessed to be broken because we get to extend the goodness of God in our lives. I want to tell you a short story about what I've experienced as I've been praying through this prayer. And uh, it started with me sitting down and I had this great anticipation and I was like, hey God, um, will you break my heart for what breaks yours? And I felt like I heard God laugh and I was like, wait a minute. Now y'all, let me just say, if you don't hear God laugh when he talks to you, sometimes you're missing out on a big thing because God is funny. He's got a great sense of humor, and that's part of a relationship, right, is having fun with him. But I didn't really like hearing him laughing at this point. <laughs> and then I felt like I heard him say, son, are you ready? And I was like, 
I don't know, but I trust you, Lord. I trust you. So as I continue to pray this, this prayer throughout the next week or so, I'm kind of leaning into this heaviness. I kind of feel like my dog died. And I don't really understand this heaviness. I don't really understand this brokenness because it's not really in a particular area yet. There's not like one specific thing that my heart is broken for. I'm just kind of carrying this heaviness around right now. And so my mind starts to wonder. I start to wonder, what, what could God be breaking my heart for? Like, I, I wonder what he's going to shatter me for. I wonder if it'll be for kids. So I started to look into this Save the Children moment, the Save the Children movement, and look into what is happening to our children and what our kids are experiencing right now. And I started to lean into that, and, and it made me uncomfortable. There was a discomfort. And then I kind of looked into some of the stuff we had going on with division in the country and inequalities and injustices. So I'm exploring all of these things to try to find this purpose of God giving me this heaviness. And then I had this moment after the discomfort, after trying to find the purpose myself. I had this, had this moment, this light switch moment, where something inside of me shifted. And this tragic event, it, it, it completely changed me. I saw on the news one day that there was this five-year-old boy named Cannon, and he was shot and killed, riding his bike. And that might hurt anybody. It could hurt any adult. It could hurt anybody that feels compassion. But for me, it crushed me. It absolutely wrecked me. And for the first time in my life, I felt what God feels when he sees destruction. I felt what God sees when he sees injustices. My heart broke, like something I had never experienced before. And what God did with that is I experienced this pain, and I had to do something with it. When you experience this pain, you can't sit on it. You've got to do something with it. I had to move. I had to make a difference some way. And I didn't really understand it. But in a roundabout way, God takes me to this point where he shows me that his heart breaks for broken families. Now, Cannon came from a good family as much as we can tell, but the man who committed the murder did not. And so what God has shown me is that in these broken families, a lot of times we lack kingdom men. So God has laid on my heart this new purpose to raise up kingdom men, to raise up men of God, to teach men how to be a father, how to be a husband. God has shown me that, hey, Jesus doesn't want fans, that Jesus wants officials. He doesn't want men that are going to be domineering and abusive. He wants men that are going to uphold his standards and loving kindness and gentleness. It was through all this, through this prayer, that God showed me this need, that God showed me this desire, that God showed me that his heart breaks for this. When you pray this prayer, get ready to be wrecked. Get ready to be crushed but know that God has a plan, that he has a purpose for it. Let's jump back to my God, Jeremiah. We're going to be in chapter 29, verse 11. And the scripture says this. It says, this is, this is God talking to Jeremiah. And I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. So in this chapter, we see that God is showing Jeremiah that the enemy is coming. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some hard times. And right in the middle of this beautiful chapter, we see, Jer we see God say to Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. And he's not just talking about Jeremiah, he's talking about his people, God's people. And he says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. We don't have to fear this prayer because we can understand and know 
that God has a plan in it, that God's going to use it to build his kingdom, that God's going to still give you joy in it. He's going to find a way. I don't, I, don't, I don't really understand how God operates. Honestly, I stopped trying to figure that out a long time ago because it just doesn't make sense. But I know that you can trust him and you can trust in his plan, just like he spoke to Jeremiah that day. You can trust him to give you a hope and a future. I wrote this next point in my notes like this. The pain purifies and the suffering strengthens. The pain purifies and the suffering strengthens. The pain that we feel through this is not intended to kill us. I thought about diamonds and how you take a diamond and it's the crushing and the pressure and the pressing that purifies it. I also thought about perspective a lot as I was reading through this and working through trying to explain what the heck God was doing in my life through this prayer. And, you know, the difference between a lasso and a noose is what side of the rope you're on. How many times has the enemy given you and I something that's intended to kill us and God turned around and used it as a weapon? God turned around and gave you to you as a lasso. I think sometimes you and I just have a bad perspective. Like, yeah, there's pain, but let's get on the other side of those thoughts. The suffering strengthens us. I have this really good friend, and uh, he's a fireman with me, and he's type A personality like myself, and he just got this new tattoo, and it just says good. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's kind of denture- different. Let's, let's hear the story on this. And so as he starts to explain to me the meaning of this tattoo, I, I absolutely, I, I love it. I love the meaning behind it. There's this guy named Jocko. You might have heard of him. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he has this two-minute video where he just he just talks about how when life gives you something that you didn't plan for, have a predetermined response for it. Hey, I woke up late for school this morning. Good. It's going to make me stronger. Hey, I didn't anticipate running into this traffic today or spilling this coffee on my shirt. Good. That's my response to it. For you and I, it might look like if you're a parent like me, I was almost out the door to get the kids somewhere they needed to be and my three-year-old, three-year-old pooped in his diaper. Good. Maybe I'll leave a little earlier next time. Whatever it is, we've got to get the perspective that God is good all the time. In all things, God is good, and he is always working on our behalf. What I'd like to do is pray two prayers with you. And this first prayer I'd like to invite you to prayer is the prayer of asking God to to break your heart. And I'd like to imagine that everybody would pray this prayer and everybody would mean it, but I know that some of you probably don't feel ready for that right now. So if I can just encourage you one more time to believe and trust in God, to know that you can find purpose in this, to know that God can use this for good, to build his kingdom, that you could live a fulfilling life, knowing that God has given you plans to prosper, knowing that God has given you hope in this whole thing. I'd just like to invite everybody to, to pray this prayer with me wherever you're at right now. If you would just take your hands and, and hold your hands over your heart for just a minute. And you don't you don't have to put in the chat that you're praying this prayer and you don't have to raise your hand or anything like this, that this is just between you and God. If you'll just stand in agreement with me as we pray through this. God, will you break our hearts for what breaks, what breaks yours? Crush it, God. Give us this holy hurt, this heavenly purpose. Father, will you allow us to feel what you feel when we see things that we don't agree with? So that we won't get anger, Lord, but we would feel an anguish to do something about it. Father, that we would have the faith in you to see our feet 
move and to build your kingdom and experience all of you. And we pray these things in your beautiful and powerful name, Jesus. We all said, amen. You know, as I was getting ready for this message, I was trying to decide on how to land this thing. And the landing is what us communicators call the end of the message. And I really felt God remind me that Jesus' heart broke for us too. And right now I know that Jesus' heart is breaking for some of you that don't know him. And so I wanted to take just a moment to paint this picture of what the crucifixion looked like. But before we get there, I want to start 2,000 years ago, back at the Garden of Gethsemane, and tell you a little bit about Jesus. If you don't know, Jesus was a carpenter. Like, brother walked all over the place. So he was a man of good stature, and he was probably in pretty good shape. But he's laboring right now. He's praying with this anguish and this pain in the garden. And he's exerting himself on our behalf because he realized what he's about to go do, it's not for him. It's for you and I. And in this moment, Jesus is betrayed. He's arrested. So they mock him, they beat him, and they walk him two and a half, two and a half miles away. There he stands trial, and he's sent to be crucified. Now the Romans had this crucifixion thing figured out, and it was pretty excruciating. It was pretty awful. I want you to know I'm not sharing with you what happened to Jesus to scare you. I want you to know what he's done for us. So when they flog, they whip. Usually they would stand the person naked in front of everybody. How humiliating. How embarrassing. An innocent man, the spotless lamb. Our sin that he's suffering for. The whip that they used had metal balls in the middle of it. Sheep's bone on the tips. And as they whip Jesus, he begins to bleed profusely. So they throw a robe on top of him. And most of the time we paint this picture of Jesus carrying this cross with the robe on him, but what we didn't realize is that the Romans were so evil, they did that to stop the bleeding. Because they didn't want him to bleed out there. They wanted him to suffocate on the cross. So they continue to mock him, spit on him. Where's your authority? Who are you, king of Jews? And they start to walk him up the hill. At this point, Jesus is in shock. He's unable to continue walking. They have to help him carry the patibulum, which is the part of the cross that is horizontal. He gets to the top of the hill where the steeple is sitting, the vertical piece. And they throw Jesus to the ground and they begin to nail his hands to the cross. Actually, they don't nail the hands. It's the wrist. A lot of times we portray that there's this nail in his hands. No, they, they sever this nerve and the wrist, because this whole weight is going to be hanging from the cross. And not little nails, seven to nine inch nails through Jesus' wrist. They lift him up, they put him on the cross. All of his weight hanging on his arms. As Jesus is struggling for each breath, they continue to mock him. From a scientific standpoint, when we breathe, you inhale and your diaphragm moves down. You exhale, it moves up, feeling that chest cavity. Can you imagine how hard it was to breathe with that pain? They take the legs, they put them in a 90-degree angle, and they put nails through the feet. So with every breath, Jesus has to push on that nail in his feet to exhale every single time. Scripture says that Jesus spoke seven times from the cross. That's a, that's a miracle. 
Why? Because when you and I exhale, our breath goes over our vocal cords. And so as Jesus is struggling to breathe and struggling to exhale, one of the things that he said is forgive them. Even in the moment that they were torturing him, spitting on him, and mocking him, Jesus is asking God to forgive these people. When the Romans were done, they would come by and break the legs of people so that they would suffocate. When they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So they take the spear and they pierce his side. And as they did, blood and water became, came out. This only happens if your heart ruptures or tears. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus' heart broke for you and I. That he has given us a free gift, that he has already covered your sin. It's covered. It is finished. It's done. Scripture says that the veil has split wide open. We now have access to God simply by surrendering to Jesus. He is the way. I want to invite you to make a decision for Jesus today, knowing and believing that you can live a life full of delight and joy by accepting him. If that's you today, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, today I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen.